Welcome to Improbable Walks, the podcast that brings you to the streets of Paris wherever you are. My name is Lisa Passold, and I'm a writer and traveler who loves to walk in the City of Light. Every episode, we step into history by strolling down a different block of the city, exploring buildings and people of the past and of the present. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your time and ears. If you're just discovering the podcast, please check out my website, lisapassel.com, for previous streets and more information. You can support this free podcast by visiting my Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lisa Passold. Today's walk covers a wide swath of history in a comparatively small area of the Latin Quarter. We're starting on the left bank and heading for the Jardin des Plantes, which was a real haven for Parisians during the terrible heat waves of this past summer. For this improbable walk, we'll talk about everything from an ancient Roman arena to a pornographic 20th century novel. We're starting in Place Émile Mal. A respected historian, Mal specialized in medieval history and died in 1954 in his 90s. Appropriately, the place named for him is very historic, though it's ancient Roman history we're talking about here, not medieval. This was once a major arena when the Romans controlled this territory. The small amphitheater space was used for theater and for gladiator fights. The arena sat approximately 15,000 patrons, which is a huge public, somewhat bigger than the entire population of the city at the time. The Romans, of course, called this city Lutetia, city of the Parisi. Um, Back in January of the year 52 BC, the Gauls made a last stand here against the Romans. The local tribe, the Parisi, rose up with other Gaulish tribes to fight the invading Romans. They were fighting against Caesar, who was elsewhere fighting a different battle in the ongoing Gallic Wars. But the Parisi lost the Battle of Lutetia, and after their brutal defeat in 52 BC, they cooperated with their Roman colonizers. They had no choice. Their only real revenge is the name of the city today. The Romans' Lutetia, city of the Parisi, is now, of course, known as Paris, a much better name for a city. There are lots of theories about the origins of the word Lutetia. Maybe it's from a Parisi word, but no one's quite sure what the word meant. Maybe it means swampy. Maybe it means island of rats. Maybe it just means white, like the gypsum in the ground here, the same white crumbling rock that has come to be known as Plaster of Paris. And you thought that was just a marketing concept, didn't you? But Plaster of Paris really was quarried in Paris for centuries. Plaster of Paris is also fire-resistant, which is one of the reasons Paris did not have a big medieval fire like London, for example. Today, you might have experienced Plaster of Paris wherever you live if you've ever seen a dental mold of your teeth. It's just one of the many still common uses for the stuff, which these days, of course, is not strictly quarried in Paris. 
No one really knows what Lutetia means as a word, but Julius Caesar claimed to admire the nation of the Parisi. Now, it was rare for Roman colonizers to admit they admired foreigners, but they apparently admired the Parisi's flamboyance and great sensual appetites, which leads us to conclude that even at the very beginning, Paris was a place where people enjoyed food and romance. The Romans also claimed that Lutetia was not a colony. In fact, the nation of the Parisi were free allies, friends of Rome. Yeah, I'm sure the Parisi were a little dubious about that distinction, but given their limited options, they probably saw the advantage in trading with their oppressors instead of just being slaughtered by them. Today in Paris, there are very few visible Gallo-Roman traces. As a visitor to the city, you might have seen the ruined baths at, at what's now the Musée de Cluny, over at the intersection of Boulevard Saint-Germain and Boulevard Saint-Michel. The Musée de Cluny has recently been renovated, and they did a beautiful job on the baths. But today, we're focusing on the second most important Roman ruin within Paris city limits, and that's the Arène de Lutès in the Latin Quarter. Today, the arena is a park, free and open to the public, and accessible from the Place Émile Mal. Now, the Arènes de Lutèce are really not at all crowded. There are some occasional formal events here, everything from wine tastings to craft markets, but otherwise you're basically likely to see a few kids playing football in the main open space of the arena. What's really astonishing is that this location, this amazing Roman arena, was buried and forgotten for centuries. Because Roman buildings were so expertly constructed, as centuries passed, people often reused parts of the walls in Paris, and individual stones disappeared into other building projects. As time went on, the theater here became part of a cemetery, and by the early 1200s, the entire arena was filled in. People remembered that there had been a Roman arena in this neighborhood, but the precise location faded from public memory. Then, in the 1860s, there were the great Haussmann renovations of the Second Empire. During digging for a tram line, construction workers discovered the Roman ruins of the arena here. Victor Hugo, the great novelist, was one of the people who fought for the restoration of the arena. Hugo argued, It is not possible that Paris, city of the future, should renounce the living proof that it was a city of the past. Hugo is also one of the great defenders of the cathedral, Notre Dame. Now today, standing in the open floor of this arena, what is now a public park, there's very little original stone left. The arena layout was heavily reconstructed in the 19th century, and while the basic shape remains Roman, you really have to use your imagination to feel that the Romans were once here cheering for their favorite gladiator or booing their evil villain playing on a stage. After imagining the Romans for a while, we can walk out from the arena and go down the curving Rue des Arènes the street of arenas. You'll probably notice 
number five, because it's a small Gothic-style house, a rare sight in this part of Paris. The house is adorned with a discreet plaque commemorating writer Jean Pallon, who lived here. Now, oddly, these days, Pallon is mostly remembered because his lover, Anne Desclos, also known as Dominique Horry, wrote a rather infamous erotic novel, The Story of O. Pollan believed women could not write erotica, so Ari wrote this novel to prove him wrong. The book appeared in 1954 under her pseudonym, Pauline Réage. Aware that he had lost the argument, Jean Pollan wrote a preface for the book. The story of O went on to win the prize of the Demago, even though its author remained a mystery until years after its publication, when Ori finally revealed that she was the woman behind the name. When Ori was in her 80s, she wrote about the creation of the novel. She said, Who am I, finally, if not the long, silent part of someone, the secret and nocturnal part which has never betrayed itself in public by any thought word, or deed, but communicates through subterranean depths of the imaginary, with dreams as old as the world itself. Ori and her lover initially met during the German occupation. Palan essentially ran the literary arm of the French resistance while Ori distributed magazines. Palan suffered imprisonment under the Nazis, but he survived. And after the war, both he and Ori worked at the prestigious Gallimard Publishing House. No, they are not the ones that published the story of O. The novel is pornographic, but it has very high literary connections. Fallon was a respected member of the Académie Française, and he was a committed Parisian Marxist intellectual. On her part, Ori was a celebrated journalist, translator, and editor, and she was also a chevalier of the Légion d'honneur. In 2004, the story of O was included in a list of 20th century French cultural triumphs. If we continue walking to Rue Linet, south towards the entrance of the Jardin des Plantes, we reach the Rue Cuvier. Here, there's a beautiful fountain, lobsters and sea animals, spitting dogs, a real party of a corner street fountain. But it's unfortunately named like the street for Georges Cuvier, who lived from 1769 until 1832. Cuvier was a deeply flawed French zoologist and naturalist, sometimes considered the founder of paleontology. But what you need to know about Cuvier is that he's one of the scientists responsible for the horrific treatment of Sarah Bartman, the African woman who appeared in demeaning conditions in the Palais Royal in 1814. She died the following year. There's really very little good to be said about Cuvier. It's too bad his name burdens this lovely fountain with its sea creatures and strange dogs. There really isn't enough water here to wash away the foul memory of Cuvier, and I really wish they'd rename the fountain. So let's walk away from that horrible history and cross the street into the magnificent Jardin des Plantes, where we're confronted with a fantastic winding path into the greenery. This path twists up towards the Gloriette de Buffon, which was completed just before the French Revolution by the Comte de Buffon, 
whose name sounds beautifully like buffoon, and it seems adorably appropriate for the silly little ornamental metal gazebo on top of the hill. The gazebo, when it was built, was adorned with an an inscription in 1786, which translates to, Just as the sun gives life to the world with its heat and brightness, King Louis XVI illuminates the men of his kingdom with wisdom and justice. No surprise, that inscription was one of the first things to disappear a few short years later during the French Revolution. The gazebo was restored in 2018. There's not much of a view from here, but it's a very pretty place to sit and enjoy some sun now that we're into the cooler season. Now, if we walk down the far side of the hill towards the gardens, we stroll beneath the outstretched branches of my favorite Paris tree, the historic Cedar of Lebanon, planted here in 1734. Yes, that's right. The tree was planted well before the American or the French Revolution, which means this extremely tall, healthy tree is almost 300 years old. Cedars of Lebanon are not only beautiful trees, but they're also very historical. King Solomon's palace was built with these trees, and the huge cedar forests of the Middle East were once prized for their timber, used particularly for shipbuilding. This particular tree has a very precise recorded history. It was brought as a tiny seedling from Britain by Bernard de Jussieu, who lived from 1699 to 1777. Now, naturalist Jussieu is an interesting character. He's one of three brothers, all of whom became famous botanists. Bernard actually began studying medicine, but he soon found that he preferred plants to humans. He worked in the royal garden at the Trianon in Versailles. This particular cedar of Lebanon came from the Oxford Botanic Garden. Jussieu transported it from England all the way over to here to present the seedling to King Louis XV. Now, although the internet does report that there's this ridiculous story that he had to transport the seedling in his hat, I want to tell you that is not true. The seedling arrived in a pot like a normal plant. Now, the seedling was installed here in the gardens under the king's protection in 1734, where it has thrived ever since, despite revolutions, wars, and climate change. Every time I visit, I wish the tree luck to survive our increasingly warm future. From here, the path leads down into the formal gardens of the Jardin. You can visit the elegant greenhouses or smell the roses, quite literally, in the furthest of the formal lawns. The rose bushes are particularly beautiful in May and June, but the Jardin are always a delightful place to visit, no matter what time of year. If you enjoyed this improbable walk, please subscribe to this podcast. For photos and details about today's walk, please visit my website, lisapassel.com. If you're looking for further links and information, please join my Patreon list. Thank you so much for listening and for stepping into history with me. Until the next time, we go strolling into Paris together.